Well, good morning, church. It's good to be with you this morning. Uh, you know, we all, all, all have values. All of us, uh, if we were to, to sit down and begin to think about it, uh, regardless of uh, who we are or where we live or uh, how many times we've gone to church, we all have values. Now, if you're anything like me, one of the values that I have is, is just a, a job well done, right? At the end of the day, I want to be able to look back and go, hey, yeah, yeah, that, that was good. That was right. I, I'm proud of that. So whether, whether it's a Sunday morning and uh, I can look back and go, yeah, you know what? I think I communicated God's word to his people today. Or, or whether, whether I was able to, to go outside and mow the lawn and look over all that I have done and go, yeah, that, that was good. It looks really nice. Or, 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 or whether I went through the house, not that I have a lot of experience with this, and cleaned it. Okay, a few of you thought that was funny. Um, you know, uh, to, to look over, you know, maybe an organized shelf that, that was kind of in disarray, and I put it back in order, and I kind of stand back, and ah, yes, yes. That's one of those values. It's one of those uh, underlying assumptions about what drives a little bit of who I am. It's, it's what I value. I want to do a good job. Now, some of you can identify with that. You have those kinds of values. But whether your values are doing a good job or some other values, we all have values that, that act as these underpinnings of why we do what we do. They're, they kind of uh, set below the surface of our assumptions. And they kind of help us make our decisions, maybe subconsciously, that, that we have these values, that we're going to go about valuing these sorts of things. Now, as a church, we have values. We, we try and publish them, actually, very regularly. They, they come in, in handouts like this, and it says WCC values on it. There are seven, uh, connecting with God and His Word, compassionate love for others, intentionally joining in community, celebrating transformation, uh, transformation, worshiping fully, uh, relishing in the good times. We, we have values. We have things that, uh, that undergird the, the, the decisions and the assumptions that we make. It's part of who we are. And when we value something, we repeat it over and over again. It, it kind of acts as this, this driving force to who we are. And this morning, uh, Jesus uh, talks to us about what we value. In fact, he's going to talk to us about valuing the right stuff the right way at the right time. He's just really uh, going to lay out for us uh, th those things that sometimes are important to us that we need to use them in the right way at the right time for the right reason. That we need to value the right things, the right way, at the right time. We're going to be in a text this morning where, where Jesus is telling a parable. Uh, it's a, it's a made-up story that Jesus tells in order to get at something. And what he wants to get at uh, is, is really our sense of value. 
I mean, we're in this series. Uh, you, you've seen the sign for weeks now, Great Reversal. And it's, it's this time where Jesus is constantly like turning things on its head. He's constantly turning the world upside down uh, so that we have to see things a little bit differently. And one of the things that, that he does in this parable is he flips the world on its head by using someone uh, that we wouldn't anticipate him using and making him the example about how we're supposed to value our stuff. And he's going to say we need to value our stuff, the right stuff, the right way, at the right time. So this morning, we're going to value the right stuff, the right way, at the right time. Will you join me in Luke chapter 16? Luke chapter 16. If you need, uh, grab a pew Bible in front of you. It's going to be page 730. Page If we're going to value the right stuff the right way at the right time, uh, then we need to leverage our stuff so that heaven is the benefactor. Uh, When we value the right stuff the right way at the right time, uh, we'll find ourselves using what we have so that eventually the kingdom ends up winning. If we're going to value the right stuff at the right time, the right way, we need to leverage what we have for heaven's benefit. Read with me, would you, in chapter 16. uh, Jesus told his disciples... There was a rich man. Now, Jesus often begins parables this way. Hey, there was this rich guy. It's kind of like saying once upon a time. There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in. And he asked him, What's this I hear about you? Give me an account of your management because you cannot be my manager anymore. This is not the greatest scene for this manager. There was this rich guy. He's got a guy kind of handling his accounts. Uh, We don't know exactly what it is that he is being accused of, uh, but we know that whatever it is, it's not good, right? I mean, it's kind of bad. He says, hey, give me the checkbook. I want to see where you've been spending my stuff. Uh, Maybe he's been taking a little more off the top. I don't know. Maybe he's been trying to date the master's daughter. Nobody really knows. It doesn't really tell us. He just says, "Uh, come in, uh, give me an account. And whatever the accusation is, it must have enough weight to it uh, that the master looks across the table and says, you're fired. That is bad news. 
Now, I want to paint a, a picture of maybe who this character is. I mean, he's a convict of sorts. He's a bad kind of character. He's done something wrong. Maybe you need to think like Matt Lauer. I mean, he's been famous. He's had what he wants. He's kind of just done what he's wanted to do. He's had houses and boats and cars and vacations. And one day, someone calls him to account. Like, in a moment, right, He's called in, and it's all taken away. Are you tracking with me here? No more houses, no more cars, no more long trips, uh, no more fun parties. He's not being invited anywhere. I mean, he is seen as a crook. Are you with me? This is where this guy is at. And he's going to be thinking, where am I going to go? What am I going to do? Where am I going to live? I mean, I, I can't go to the poorhouse. That, that just wouldn't suit me. I, I couldn't go to jail because I'd never survive. I can't dig because I never worked a day in my life. I, what in the world am I going to do? It's crisis time. Crisis. Crisis. Read verse 3. The manager says to himself, What am I going to do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. And then he hatches a master plan. So he sits in his room all by himself. At least this is how I imagine it. And he sits there and he says, Okay, think. You're a pretty smart guy. Think. What are you going to do? And he thinks of it. It's kind of one of those plans. It's, it's kind of a thousand to one shot, okay? Uh, the, we're going to celebrate VBS on mega sports camp, right? So let me give a couple sports analogies to, to the plan that he decides to hatch. He's standing on his own 25-yard line, and it's 4th and 25, and he says, okay, I'm just going to go for it. It doesn't matter. He's going to go. He's a baseball team. There's a guy standing on third base, and he wants to get that runner home, and he says, okay, I know know what I'm going to do. We're going to pull a suicide squeeze. Now, for those of you that don't know baseball, suicide squeeze is when the batter will bunt. But he needs to put down the most precise bunt possible. He needs to bunt. Uh, Really, the best bunt for a suicide squeeze is going to be uh, up the first base side. So that someone, and it has to be just far enough uh, so that the catcher has to go get it, or the pitcher, or the first baseman, uh, but it's enough time to get that runner from third base home. But it almost never works. It's a very risky play. And this guy says, okay, it's, it's squeeze time. I'm in, in crisis mode. I... 
I need to go for it. Whatever it takes, I'm going to do it because I know uh, that if I don't address this crisis, things are going to go from bad to worse. So he says, I'm going to leverage every ounce of my power. I'm going to leverage every ounce of what I have to try and make sure I can take care of myself when all the money and all the funds dry up. Look at what he does. I know what to do. I know what to do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he calls in each of his master's debtors. He asks the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. Woohoo! Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. Now, Let's get some perspective, okay? Uh, we don't live in the land of olive oil and wheat. This is the land of corn and beans. <laughs> so to help you understand, right, what, what it means that uh, someone owed 900 gallons of olive oil. Th this is equivalent, if we had olive groves around here, that it would take a year of 150 olive trees to create enough olive oil to fill up 800 to 900 gallons. In his time, it was worth about seven and a half years worth of salary for someone that was working on the farm producing the olive oil. This is a huge debt that he owes. And all of a sudden, here's this guy, he comes in, he calls you in, he sits you down, he says, hey, uh, how much is on that mortgage? Oh, yeah? Hey, let, let's, let's cut it in half. Now, a, a thousand bushels of wheat, we kind of understand bushels because we're in farm country. But think about this, thousand bushels of wheat in that time would have fed 150 people for a year. And he says, hey, sit down. Cut off 20%. Right off the top. Now, if I were a banker, and I'm not, but if I were, and I came to your house, and I said, how much do you still owe? How much do you owe on the car? How much do you owe on the house? And I looked at you and I said, I have the power to make it half. Would you be maybe excited about that? 
If I said, cut 20% off the mortgage right now, today, uh, you, you know, some of you anyway, that uh, the tradition is that when you uh, pay up your mortgage, you burn it. Have you, have you, some of you, maybe some of you have even done this. I, I haven't. Uh, someday. But you burn it. Essentially, what he's saying is, hey, I want you to take the mortgage and I want you to burn it. Then I'll give you another one. And it's binding now. But it's going to be a whole lot less. And he's doing this because he recognizes something. There's a crisis coming, and he's not going to have any job or place to live. Nobody's going to hire him anymore. And he needs people. Keep going. Here's the shocker. Here's the reversal. Here's the thing we can't hardly believe that Jesus would ever say about such a crook. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. What? I mean, can you, can you just, can you do that with me? Can you just say what in the most disgusted sense? Can you do that with me? What? Do it one more time. Ready? One, two, three. Good. This is what everybody is saying when they come to this portion. Uh, they're listening to Jesus. Uh, maybe Luke's audience is having this read to them for the first time, and they come. Uh, the master commended the manager. What? Wait a minute, Jesus. That's not how this story is supposed to go. Uh, the master is supposed to condemn this guy. He's a crook. Now, I know all sorts of commentators have come up with uh, no less than a dozen different interpretations in regards to uh, what exactly happened uh, with this whole uh, cutting of the funds. Many people say that he was just cutting his own cut out. The best one that I can think of is, or that I accept, is that what's happening here is that the master knows the master's charging interest, which is, is in some Jewish circles, in some Jewish interpretations, not quite the right thing to do when you're, when you're borrowing to other Jewish people. And so he's, he's saying, ah, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut everything out. Maybe he's even cutting into what the master was properly owed, uh, but he knows. Now here's the thousand and one. He knows that if the master were to come back and try and reinstitute the same debt as before, the community is not going to look very well, that he's going to lose face. And so the master looks at the, the manager and goes, you got me. And Jesus says, he commends him. He's honored for acting shrewdly. Now, you have to understand parables a little bit. 
Sometimes parables are uh, a matter of comparison. Uh, Sometimes, however, uh, parables are a matter of contrast. Uh, Sometimes parables, in fact, uh, will take uh, someone who we wouldn't think to be the hero uh, and say, if this is true, how much more can it be true of those who follow Jesus? And that's the sort of parable that we have. It's, it's kind of one of those parables of contrast. It's not so that we'll all go out and be dishonest with our funds. No, no, no. It, it, Jesus is saying, value the right stuff the right way at the right time and leverage all that you have because you know Uh, Those of you who are followers of Jesus, you know that a crisis is coming, uh, which we call the final day. And if the final day is coming, how much more uh, should those of us who follow Jesus leverage all that we have so that heaven wins? That's what this parable is all about. Uh, Notice what he says uh, later on in verse 8. For the people of the world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of light. Jesus is saying to us, value the right things the right way at the right time and leverage all that you have Leverage all that you have so that heaven wins. So my question to you, what are you doing to leverage what you have for the benefit of heaven? What are you doing? How are you valuing the stuff that you have for the benefit of God's kingdom. Uh, When you take your stuff and value it in the right way at the right time for the right reason, uh, is heaven winning? Several years ago, uh, we were in Illinois at the time. It was a, an agricultural area, much like this one. And uh, there was a farmer, and he was in harvest season. Uh, there was a, a highway that ran uh, very close to his house, and he, he pulled out with his tractor. And some of you know those blind corners. He pulled out. There was a blind corner. Uh, he thought it was clear, but it wasn't. And a semi came and, 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 and hit him while he was in his tractor. Now, he survived, but he was in the hospital a long time. Now, I told you it was harvest season. All the other farmers in the area use their own gas, their own equipment to make sure that his fields were harvested. Now, maybe to you and I, that doesn't seem like all that big of a thing, that uh, we just think, well, that's just what you do. And, and I guess what I see Jesus saying uh, here in this particular parable is, uh, yes, it's the kind of thing that you do uh, when you make it a value. Do you have the right sort of values? Are you valuing the right stuff the right way at the right time? When you are a follower of Jesus, you can be shrewd about uh, how you leverage your, your opportunities with your stuff, 
so that heaven wins. Some of you are sitting there saying, well, I don't have a whole lot to give. Can I, can I encourage you that this parable, what Jesus is saying here is uh, much bigger than writing out a check to a Whiting Christian church. Uh, this isn't just about uh, saying, hey, I'll give regularly. No, this is about uh, all, of we, all the stuff that we have and how we use it. Some of you students are sitting there right now thinking, well, I don't, I don't have 10 bucks. But I bet that this summer you're going to be spending some time at the pool if you haven't already. And you're going to be going to the pool and, and someone, maybe your mom, maybe your grandma, maybe your dad is, is going to hand you five bucks on the way out the door. Here, uh, when you're at the pool today, feel free to get some snacks. Have some of those uh, Sour Patch Kids or a hot dog. And you're thinking, all I've got is five bucks. But perhaps what you can do is leverage what you have and not worry about what you don't. So the next time you go up to the snack counter, uh, you take a friend with you and say, hey, I've got whatever he's got too, but I've only got five bucks. Now, you're not going to buy anybody's way into heaven with five bucks, nor 5,000, nor five million. But what you might have the opportunity to do is create an environment where they're going to sit with you at lunch and you get to have a conversation. You see, uh, we've been talking a lot around here about building Christ-like community, one neighbor at a time. Well, how do we do that? Uh, We sit down with them and we leverage what we have so that heaven wins. We sit down. We have a meal. We invite them into our home. We, uh, after church one day, uh, maybe uh, we've invited them and we, we try and sit down with them uh, at Dairy Queen or something. I don't know. Uh, but we get creative in regards to what we have uh, so that we can have the kind of conversations where the kingdom ends up winning. So we leverage all that we have Because we recognize there's a day coming. There's a day coming when Jesus will return, and we want everybody to be ready. Now, some of you are a little older than me, and you're much wiser than me, too. You have children that are probably my age. Uh, They have families. They're growing up. Uh, uh, You're noticing that you have grandchildren now. One thing that I have seen over the years uh, that I have come to love and appreciate. uh, Oh, am I knocking something over? Oops. Sorry, Brenda. That I love to see families doing is, is those matriarchs and patriarchs. And in a vacation season like we're in, they'll say, hey, you know what? At the end of the summer, we're going to rent someplace, and I want all of our family to be there. Uh, You can bring your family. You can bring your kids. uh, But I just want you to know, uh, come Sunday morning, we're all going to church. What a great opportunity. Uh, to, to, to sit down over tables with our families and, and leverage what it is that we have so that heaven wins. And you're saying, oh, what's one Sunday going to do? Uh, what's one conversation going to do? Uh, the point of all of this is you don't know what one conversation or one trip to church is going to do. It might just change somebody's life forever. And they might find 
that they're far more ready now than they were when Jesus comes again. Leverage all that you have so that heaven wins. And you're going to have to get creative in regards to uh, what those things are. I can't stand up and think of all the scenarios uh, where you can leverage what it is that you have to remind people that there is a day coming, to have those kinds of conversations that perhaps they too need to follow Jesus. But I bet that if we value the right things the right way at the right time, we will find that we build Christ-like community one neighbor at a time. I bet that if we value the right things the right way at the right time, that what we'll find about our homes is that our homes are valued differently. That we find ourselves spending time with people because we recognize that there's a great value with them. That we'll value our neighbors, that we'll value our town, that we'll value our county and our state in our nation. So can I encourage you this morning? What I think Jesus is saying here, leverage all that you have so that heaven wins. Let's pray. Gracious God, I thank you for who you are and all that you do. And I pray for all of us, Lord, uh, that we will take all that we have and all that you've given and we will leverage it in the right way with the right stuff at the right time so that Heaven wins. Lord, we love you. Help us to make others ready. In Jesus' name, amen.